are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on foxsports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7400. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Tuesday on a game week. Got a lot of things planned for you on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Lance, how you doing today, my man? Fantastic, Noah. How are you doing? Doing well. We inch ever closer to the official start well I guess the official start has already happened but we inch ever so closer to the official start of Auburn's college football season had Bo Nix and Anders Carlson earlier today for media availability we've got some of the audio from Bo Nix's time with the media there wasn't a whole lot said by Anders Carlson during his time it was really kind of a short quick to the point dry media availability so we'll save people from that and we'll dig into what Bo Nix had to say earlier today as we've got some clips from his media availability as he previewed week one against Akron in the start of the college football season we'll also have Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer coming up today at 2 30 p.m. and a slew of other topics Cam Newton cut by the New England Patriots South Carolina is starting a grad assistant at quarterback how in the world Could a quarterback position at an SEC school regress to such a point? Auburn fans, consider yourselves lucky for how much we've complained about the position, but we'll get all that later on in the show. Let's get to our first topic today, giving three breakout defensive players on the Auburn depth chart. We did the entire Alabama depth chart yesterday for breakout players. We've already done three offensive breakout players for Auburn. Now let's go to three defensive breakout players for Auburn looking at this Tiger depth chart that was released yesterday. Yeah, and I'm going to start at number three, the guy that I have third. And I I, I pick between a group of five guys that I really, really like. I'm really high on. There are a lot of different new faces on this defense that I'm really excited about. But my number three guy, Donovan Kaufman, the transfer from Vanderbilt, going to start at nickel, going to also be returning kicks. Excuse me. And we're going to be returning kicks, it looks like, for Auburn as well. Look, this guy was incredibly talented during the two games that he played uh, at his during his time at Vanderbilt before he was injured, and he also returned a kickoff for a touchdown. He's an incredible athlete. He is going to be on the field quite often for Auburn, even though he's going he's listed as a backup safety. He's going to be playing nickel. Really excited to see what this kid does in his second year in college, first year with Auburn. Again, like there's no reason why this guy should not pan out in my mind. Because you look at the production in two games at Vanderbilt. I mean, if you're doing that in those two games, imagine what you're going to be able to do whenever you're put on a stage like Auburn's. For my number three on this list, I'm going to go with Kansas transfer Marcus Harris, listed as a defensive tackle on the Auburn depth chart. He's going to kind of move around this defensive line. Auburn's depth chart right here has a four-man front. This looks like a nickel set or a 4-3 defense as well, considering Chandler Wooten is listed as star. 
this isn't how the the way that the depth chart is listed that people looked at yesterday that is omitting the nickel position with Donovan Kaufman this is going to change a lot throughout the regular season you're going to see a 3-4 base you're going to see a 4-3 base you're going to see a lot of different looks from this Auburn defense Marcus Harris can play defensive tackle on that 4-3 front he can also play defensive end on the 3-4 front that interior lineman role that's not nose tackle for this group with the way these players are talking about Marcus Harris and Chandler Wooten last week and his media availability said that when he's in front of him on that defensive line he feels good and and a big reason for that is because Marcus Harris has been reliable he's been consistent throughout fall camp and the way that these linebackers the way that these defensive players have talked about him points to me believing that he's going to have a breakout type of season and get people's attention my whole list here of three players there are naysayers for these guys all over the place whether it's in the SEC whether it's Auburn fans somewhere there are naysayers about these guys Marcus Harris when we saw that he transferred from Kansas folks were like oh my goodness we got a Kansas transfer the guy's been balling out and he was honestly if he wasn't Kansas's best defensive player last year he produced like it when you talk about his tackles for loss and whatnot so I think it's going to work out of the SEC for him this year with the way that his teammates are talking about him at the moment my number two guy is also Marcus Harris and look it's 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 for it, the every single reason that you stated. This guy coming in as a transfer from Kansas, like you mentioned, a lot of people, including myself, for a moment in the off season, were like, "Oh, Auburn got a transfer from Kansas, and then they picked up a defensive tackle from UAB." It was like, "What are we doing out here?" Um, but you you watch this kid's progression through fall camp, and you listen to what people are saying about him, this coaching staff. They're really, really excited about him, and he's worked his way into a potential starting spot on the defensive line. Like you said, he can play defensive uh, defensive tackle. I've heard that some people, if they're going to go to a three-man front, it would be Wood and Fair and then Harris on the edge as well. He's incredibly talented, and he's incredibly young. And it, we, you and I talked about this, I believe it was last week, talking a little bit about Marcus Harris. As far as his development and his long-term progression, look, he's going to be able to break out this season, I believe. I believe, believe that he is going to have a very good season. If Auburn's going to have this kid for four years or three years, perfect. Auburn needs a guy like that right now. For the trajectory of this program, when you talk about the guys that are leaving, Gus Malzahn's recruits, you talk about the guys that are coming in, Brian Harson's recruits, they need some in-between guys like Marcus Harris who can be staples of this defense and can stay consistent. And I think this is the year where we see Marcus Harris break out and become one of those consistent guys. Moving to my second guy on this list, we are going through a list of our top three breakout defensive players here on this Auburn depth chart, a projection for that. Second on my list, I'm going with Nehemiah Pritchett. Now to Auburn fans, this may be a little confusing that I'm listing him as having a breakout season because some Auburn fans out there may say that, well, he had that last year. I would say we didn't get enough consistent playing time from Pritchett. He battled Jalen Simpson for that other corner spot a lot. But also, earlier I was talking about that there are naysayers in the SEC. There could be naysayers around the Auburn program. There are naysayers about this Auburn defensive backfield. There are people out there, when you look at Auburn's secondary, that do not believe that this is a top three, top ten top two unit and a top 10 unit in college football right like they are sleeping on this Auburn defense and this Auburn secondary they're talking about Alabama secondary they're talking about LSU secondary they're talking about Florida secondary they're not talking about Auburn's and Nehemiah Pritchett 
People know about Roger McCreary on the other side. Opposing offenses are going to try and avoid Roger McCreary. Well, if you try and avoid Roger McCreary, you're going to run into Nehemiah Pritchett, who is honestly, I think, going to evolve into just as good, if not better, of a shutdown corner on the outside before his career is done at Auburn. This is the year, second full year of playing time for Nehemiah Pritchett. This is where everything fully clicks for him. And the way that folks have talked about him throughout fall camp, in addition to Marcus Harris and Colby Wooden, it's that this guy has been beasting. Right, and he was one of my five guys. If we're gonna just talk about everybody that was an honorable mention for me, Pritchett was my number one guy. Like you just mentioned, Colby Wooden, and I think he's on your list as well. Look, this guy as a freshman last season was one of Auburn's better pass rushers from a unit that was not great at getting to the quarterback, but to have such a young talent again, it's very similar to, to Harris to have such a young talent emerge on that defensive line as far as longevity goes for the program and as far as longevity goes for this player is really exciting to see to know that we're going to get to watch this kid progress and get better over an extended period of time not just one or two seasons and then he's gone I'm really excited to see what Wooden does in a full 12 game season I think you're going to see his numbers skyrocket from last season when you in terms of tackles and sacks and tackles for loss I think this kid is going to be one of Auburn's if not Auburn's best pass rusher already on roster we're going to see a lot of great things out of Colby Wooden, not just this season, but for seasons to come. He's at the top of my list as well. Once again, I go back to folks out there, not necessarily around this Auburn program, that are looking at this Auburn defense and are sleeping on them. And Colby Wooden is not a household name in the SEC. He's not yet. Last year, he had four sacks tied for the team lead, which still isn't great that's good when you're talking about Auburn's defensive line last year but on most football teams you'd like your sack leader to have a few more sacks than that right tackles for loss he had five and a half once again that's good when you're talking about Auburn's defensive line last year but across college football you'd like your sack leader you'd like your tackles for loss leader to have a few more than that that's not to say that Colby Woodett didn't perform last year that's not to say that he wasn't a good defensive lineman last year he was He was a very good defensive lineman compared to the other players on Auburn's defensive line last year, and he was the most consistent defensive lineman for Auburn last season. But this is the year where the SEC, they're put on notice. This is the year where he gets their attention. Other teams have to respect him as a wrecker in the way that Owen Papo talked about him last week, said that he had the best fall camp of any of these other defensive linemen. Colby Wooden is a guy who's, and we talked about this with Christian Clemente a little bit last Friday, He's a guy that really hasn't come up a ton in media availability when you've talked to, whether it be players or coaches. And a big part of that is because so much of what the media has focused on when they have asked questions to players and to the coaches is that they've been focusing on the new guys. They've been focusing on Tony Fair, Marcus Harris, new players, J.J. Pegues moving to the defensive side of the football. They have focused everywhere else but on some of these guys that were consistent, did the right things last year, but maybe were overly flashy last season. Colby Wooden is a guy that I'm kind of shocked that across the SEC and inside the Auburn and inside the Auburn beat, he may have been overlooked a little bit in the way that we've been talking about Auburn during fall camp. 
42 total tackles from last season, nine and a half tackles for loss, four sacks. I mean, that's that's pretty. And he played four games in 2019, but I believe that was a year where he was allowed to to redshirt, right? And he came back last season, still listed as a freshman, listed as a sophomore on Auburn's depth chart. Look, that's really, really, really good production for such a young kid. He's going to have a really good. If he's having that type of production in his freshman year in one of his first 11, 12 games. He's going to be a star this year on the defense. And when it's something that, Noah, that you and I have talked about so much, and I specifically, it's, it's been a frustration, is that Auburn needs to get home more consistently. According to SEC StatCat, they were fourth in the SEC in terms of sack production, but they were one of the worst teams in the country in terms of actually getting pressure on the quarterback. When they got home, they got home, but they did not get home often. Kobe Wooden is going to be one of those guys at the end of the season when you look at Auburn's numbers, and I believe they're going to increase in terms of pressure they put on the quarterback quarterback you're going to look back and say Kobe Wooden was one of the biggest reasons why Auburn was able to do that I don't think that we can possibly talk about him enough at this point and although and I don't want to be you know selling him short at this point during the fall camp it's not like nobody's talked about him or anything like that because his name has came up but I'm just saying he we haven't talked about him enough this guy is going to be one of the keys to the defense without a doubt any of these other players on this defense here before we go to break let's switch let's switch the topic of conversation I just said Colby Wooden's going to be one of these key guys on defense I know you would agree with that name someone else that's going to be a key player in this front seven that's not a linebacker so talking about defensive linemen I'm going to say Tony Fair is going to be another guy that will be really really important uh, for Auburn this season with Tyrone Truesdale who has now announced that he has transferred to Florida he is enrolled there with him transferring out of the program Auburn needed somebody new to step in at nose tackle and Tony Fair it seemed like was obviously the next man up Brian Harson spoke highly about him during one of his or his zoom press conference just a few days ago rather he said that Tony Fair when he got here he had some things that he needed to work on and he was a little overweight and he needed to trim down and since coming to Auburn and since fall camp all this guy has done is gone out there and work incredibly hard and Brian Harson has been very pleased with what he's seen out of Tony Fair Auburn's going to not need necessarily guys to wreak havoc in the backfield they're going to need guys that can just hold the point of attack and not give up a push from the offensive line they're going to need to hold on long enough for these talented linebackers to fill these gaps and to make tackles whenever the run plays come Tony Fair, listed at 6'1", 330 pounds, is going to be able to do so. Some of these other defensive linemen, some of these other players have spoken how he's been able to move, how versatile he is, how he can move a lot quicker than what you would expect out of a 330-pound human being. He's an athlete, and he's going to be able to prove in his sixth year uh, in college, he's going to be able to prove that he is an SEC-caliber nose tackle, and Auburn's going to need him to play to that standard because you look at the depth behind him, and it's a former tight end in J.J. Begees. And I'm not saying Begees is a bad player. I just don't like my depth at that nose tackle position past fair. So he's going to need to step up for Auburn, and he's going to be one of these key contributors in this defense. Keep up with all the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to On the Line. You. Are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. We'll be right back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Noah Gardner and Lance Daw with you on the Tuesday edition of the show. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line 
at 334-564-1840. Lance Bonick spoke with the media earlier today to preview week one against Akron. Did you get to see any of what he had to say earlier this morning? I did not get to see anything that he said earlier this morning. Actually, the only thing that I got to see is that he was reminded that he has the exact same amount of passing yards as that's his right. father did. And he was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. It's also going to be pretty cool when I get to beat him. So. Yeah, Lord willing, right? And right. um so, yeah, that, that is a pretty neat fact factoid there that uh, was brought up earlier today at Bo Nix's media availability. He spoke to what this offense will do for him to make things easier in terms of the difference in scheme. Let's take a listen to what Bo Nix had to say about this new scheme and how that is going to be put actually into play on Saturday against Akron. Yeah, I think just like you said, just allows um, a few more check downs and, and – um made just a few different uh, route combinations that um, are a little bit different that allow different places to go with the ball. Um, but this year we're excited to have the, these new guys at receiver, um, a lot of uh, inexperienced guys who will eventually continue to get experience the more games they play, and they'll continue to get better and better. And then obviously having a returning offensive line is going to be awesome. Um, and those guys up front are working really hard. Um, preparing and, and looking at a, a lot of different looks um, so that when the time comes, we can um, have success on the ball. What was your takeaways there, Lance? Well, it's something that we've harped on during the offseason is talking about how this offense needs to be a little bit more complex. There needs to be more options for Bonix, and that's two things that he hit on right there. There's going to be more check downs whenever he needs to check down if something's not open, and there's going to be different places to go with the ball. There's going to be different combination of routes, things that people have not seen before from Auburn and Bonix. It's going to be more versatile. It's going to be more complex, a word that Brad Law of the Auburn Sports Network used just a couple weeks ago that I really like that I've talked about before on the show is sophisticated. This offense, this passing game is going to be sophisticated. It's new. It's different. It's versatile. There are so many different things that you can do with the passing scheme. And like he said, having five offensive linemen at the end of the day is going to help you throw the ball a little bit more consistently downfield. Number to call 334-321-1390. Our text line at 334-564-1840. A question for folks out there. We want to hear from you. Once again, the number to call 334-321-1390. What has you the most excited about this Auburn offense going into 2021? Once again, we want to hear from you. Number to call, 334-321-1390. And text line at 334-564-1840. Something else that I thought was very interesting about Bo Nix's media availability earlier today, he was asked about how many different receivers that may be involved in this offense of course you look at the depth chart and there are some surprises there on the depth chart Shedrick Jackson listed as a starter at the X Javarius Johnson in the slot and then Demetrius Robertson at the Z of course you don't see Elijah Canyon on the depth chart at all he was omitted and then Xavion Capers and Kobe Hudson into backup roles where you and I both probably would have assumed those guys would have been starters those guys not listed as such but that doesn't mean that they aren't going to be involved. And then another player that I know has impressed some folks out there throughout fall camp, Tavares Dawson. He was listed as the backup in the slot to Javarius Johnson, whereas you could have maybe have seen Malcolm Johnson Jr. with his speed placed into the slot as well. How many of these guys realistically do we see getting involved? Before we answer that question, let's take a listen to what Bo Nix had to say in response. I think that's the most exciting part is how many we can get involved uh, from tight ends to receivers. 
there's a lot of receivers, like I just mentioned, that are inexperienced. Um, I believe uh, Demetrius Robertson and Shedrick Jackson are Shedrick Jackson are really the only two that's got significant amount of um, playing time in the SEC. A few other guys have gotten some snaps, but it's not quite the same as playing over and over and over in a lot of big games. Um, so those guys are um, get to experience that for the first time. I think because of that, it'll just make them better and better. And um, obviously, we'll have guys with um, who had small roles in the past and now have big roles that are, will have uh, big shoes to fill. Um, but excited that they can get out there and do it because, like you said, we have um, gotten that chemistry and, and those reps and um, all, the timing down and all that good stuff from fall camp to even back in the summer. So we're excited. Um, we've got a lot of reps. We've thrown a lot of footballs to each other. Um, and so we're ready to get out there and, and play against a different team. All right, Lance, now my question to you, of course, is, and Bo Nix is saying that a lot of different guys are going to get involved. Realistically, how many different guys do you think we are going to see get involved with the first team against Akron? Of course, this this could go all the way down to walk-ons on Saturday with right. the score that you and I will be predicting for this ball game. But how deep do you think it goes with the first team? I think you're going to see maybe five or six guys get targeted. As far as catches go, I'm not sure if we'll, we'll see every five or six guys get catches, but I think you can de- you'll can. you definitely see Auburn try and mix it up. You saw during Auburn's scrimmage, uh, open practice rather, last Saturday, what they were doing is they were leaving Demetrius Robertson and Javaris Johnson out there, and then they were rotating a bunch of guys around them. They're going to try and see, you know, outside of those two guys, who are going to be some of the, the most reliable receivers. I think there are two ways that you can go with this in terms of Auburn's depth and Bo Nick speaking about the amount of receivers. By the way, you notice he said tight ends to receivers. Auburn fans, congratulations. We may be throwing to a tight end this season. But my thing is that there are two ways that you can go with this. You can either look at this and say, oh, Auburn's got a lot of depth. Now they may, may be inexperienced, but they've got so much depth at the wide receiver position that they're going to be able to, if some guy needs to step up, they're going to be able to step up and play just as good, if not better. On the flip side, you can also look at it and say, it's an issue, and you and I have talked about this during the summer, it's an issue that Auburn does not have an alpha in the receiver room. They don't have that go-to guy. I would think that Demetrius Robertson could potentially be that guy, or Javaris Johnson. He may be, end up getting a lot, a lot of targets. He may play that, not necessarily Ryan Davis type of role. I think he's a little faster than Ryan Davis, but after watching him in the open practice, they both play very similar in the ways that they're going to get the ball. What about Shedrick Jackson? Shedrick Jackson. He's starting at the X. That is considerably, in a lot of offenses, the most important wide receiver spot. I'll say this about Shed. We heard during fall camp that he was still dropping passes every now and then. What Looking at him in person, I mean – Put him on a slant. He looked at like just an incredibly physical receiver that you could put in the middle of the field on a third down situation. He looked like he was comfortable. If if I were going to put somebody in that situation, I'd probably look to Shedrick Jackson, six two, almost two hundred pounds, senior, incredibly experienced. Look, he is a guy that could also get involved in this offense. I mean, he's got the body for it, absolutely. It's just whether or not the, the hands are there, and I believe that the hands are there. He just needs more opportunities to show it. But all that being said. I don't know 100%, I can't say with confidence, who could potentially emerge as the alpha in this group, 
but I don't know whether or not that's necessarily needed because of all the depth Auburn has at receiver. So again, there are two ways you can look at it, and you can go one way or the other, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. I think for the opener against Akron, it's a good thing to kind of get a feel for what's going on in the offense and who's who's good and who's not, who should be starting, who should be getting more targets, things like that. Leading receiver on Saturday? Leading. Do you have a pick for that in mind? Let's write this question down here. and Let's open this up to callers as well, 334-321-1390. Also, text line. Please text us. We want your response as well. We'll document it. 334-564-1840. Who's the leading receiver and how many yards are we looking at? I'm going to say Javars Johnson in terms of catches is going to be the leading receiver. And I'm looking at maybe 70 or 80 yards from him. I'm not going to, I'm not expecting somebody to be, to, to break out in eclipse a hundred. I think you're going to see both Bo Nix and the second team spread the ball out just a little bit. But I think Javars Johnson in terms of targets and catches, or he's going to get a lot of balls thrown his way. Yeah, let's qualify that a little bit better for our callers and people texting into the line. Let's qualify that in a different way. Not yards in terms of leading receiver. Let's say in catches and receptions. And I was leaning to various Johnson as well. Yeah, and I'll say this. Demetrius Robertson may catch a home run ball Elijah Canyon even though he's not listed on the two deep could still be a guy that we see catch a 30 40 yard pass and who knows at the end of the day maybe one of them is leading in terms of yards I think in catches though Johnson's going to get some balls thrown his way especially early I think if they're going to try and air it out at least just a little bit I'm going to like I'm going to go with like four or five catches for like 65 yards somewhere around there a little bit more of an intermediate threat I think is what you're looking at with Johnson I think you also should expect to see him get involved in the screen game a lot. So that's kind of why where I'm thinking, ah, let's maybe shave it down about 20 yards from where your prediction is, but also don't know how long these ones are going to be out there. Also do think they're going to be spreading it around the yard a little bit. So I'll say Javarius Johnson will lead the will lead the team in receptions, but I think a lot of guys are going to get involved on Saturday, and I'll be paying attention to in that in that game against Akron this Saturday I'll be paying attention to see how many different dudes are targeted within that first quarter and a half and how that reflects the scheme and what Auburn's going to be trying to do this year one last question for you what is there to gain from the Akron and Alabama State games Bo Nix was asked this earlier today let's hear his response I think just kind of find our uh, our balance as an offense find a rhythm uh, find exactly what we're good at and what we can become really good at because uh, at the end of the day, that's the kind of the key is just finding those plays, finding those formations, or finding the people that you can get the football that you're comfortable with and knowing that at the end of the day, whatever situation you are in a game, even in a big game, you can go to those certain things that you're, you're good at and you can find some, some balance and some rhythm in an offense. And So having these first two games um, before the big national stage game, um, these two games are going to be extremely important for us. We've got to come out there and play, play sharp. Um, to give us good positive energy moving forward and just give us some confidence. Uh, I think having a spring ball this year was even more huge for us uh, just because we get even more repetition and something we lost last year and heading into the season last year, we didn't really know what we had. And so this year we kind of know a little bit more of our foundation, more of who we are, and that'll help us moving forward so we can get really good at those things in the first couple of games. That's the grand question, right? going into Saturday's season opener is what can we learn what can we gain from playing Akron and then from playing Alabama State the week after what can we actually learn about this team realistically through the first two weeks I hate playing in games like this I'm pumped for the season opener and honestly this is a good thing for Auburn I think to have these two games getting in preparation for Penn State but you always hate 
these cupcake games, as people call it, because you kind of feel like there's no way to leave happy. Of course, if you blow them out, you're like, okay, well, that was expected, you know? But if, if, if you don't quite hit expectations, you're like, uh-oh, or, or that wasn't fun. I mean, you think back to Mercer back in 2017, right? That, that probably wasn't a fun day for a lot of people. So when we come back, we got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. When we come back, we'll ask him some of those questions that was asked Bo Nix and get his thoughts on that media availability as well. You're listening to On the Line. Back on on the line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with the on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Tuesday edition of the show, and we've got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer here on the line with us. Justin, how you doing today, my man? I'm all right. How are you? We're doing pretty well, and, you know, just another day closer to the start of the college football season for the Auburn Tigers. Folks got to talk to Bo Nix and Anders Carlson earlier today. Let's start with Anders Carlson, a little bit less meat there in that press conference, but a takeaway from that press conference maybe is actually about the punter position. You know what you've got in Anders Carlson, but Oscar Chapman winning the starting punter job for Auburn. Is is he going to be splitting time with Aiden Marshall, or is this his job? Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. You know, we watched him last year where Auburn decided to kind of use guys situationally. I mean, being the split in types of punter, uh, a guy like Oscar Chapman can do some different things and is better at certain punts than a guy like Aiden Marshall, who is more of the traditional punter instead of the, the Aussie style uh, that, we, that we see. So it'll be interesting to see. I think Chapman's the guy that they want, and he's the guy that you know is, it makes the most sense as a position as the scholarship guy. Uh, but, you know, Aiden Marshall – it's good to have uh, good to have depth at pretty much every position, and if Marshall was in a spot where he could at least compete for this job this off season, then I ought to tell you something about uh, how they view him. He's not your typical kind of walk on guy. Um, so yeah, I would expect Chapman to be the guy who gets the majority of the punts, if not all of them, this season. Uh, but there might be some situations where Marshall makes a little more sense. Moving to Bo Nix's media availability earlier today, what were your takeaways from what Bo had to say? Yeah, that's a lot of stuff we've heard Bo talk about all offseason. Uh, I think the main thing is when people are asking him about the differences in this offense and the last one, uh, you know, his his big thing is about the mental side of the game. Uh, what he does in pre-snap is going to be a lot more important. Uh, it's going to be a lot more um, detailed and deep, I guess, in this type of offense because uh, you aren't as trying to play as fast as you do under, as you did under Malzahn, so there's a lot more time to kind of sit back and, and uh, look, look around and, and try to diagnose things before the snap. So it's going to be a big key. It's a, it's a key for everybody. It's a key on the offensive line. It's definitely a key at wide receiver. But I think Bo's big thing is just having the mental uh, awareness to, okay, here's where I go with the ball in this situation. Here's what I do uh, on this play. Here's what I do if there's this coverage. And I think that's kind of got to be the big thing for him. How, how well is he going to be able to retain and process and go through that information? Because I think talent-wise, everybody can see He's got the arm. He's got the uh, he's got the athleticism to be a really good football player at uh, the quarterback spot. But um, it's just when the bullets start flying, uh, can he be? Can he know where to go with the ball, and can he do it consistently? And I think that's been the thing that has kind of lacked, uh, you know, big picture wise for him in the first few seasons. It's a completely different offense, so there's going to be a learning curve. There's going to be bumps in the road. Uh, but if he feels a little bit more equipped to, um, you know, stay in the pocket and go through his read, makes makes those throws. 
Um, I think you could see two really good games for him to start the season. So I'll be very curious to see uh, how well he will do against you know two pretty bad teams uh, for the most part. But um, there's a lot to show out on the field uh, against somebody who isn't uh, you know your teammates. And I think that's something that, that he's very much looking forward to. You talk about the receivers getting involved in this offense, and obviously the depth chart came out for Auburn yesterday, and probably one of the biggest surprises uh, of this depth chart is Elijah Canyon not being listed uh, in the two deep. Does that surprise you at all, and is he going to still be able to get involved in some type of role against Akron and Alabama State during these first two weeks? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets involved these first couple of games because I think it's going to be opportunities to get deep into the depth chart. I mean, this is a two deep for the most part, except for the guys that are like oars on the on the group. So, um, you know, it, it would be surprising if Auburn just used six receivers this season, right? So I think the thing with Canyon is he's at a position where um, with his size and his, you know, where he lines up on the field, um, you know, they there, there's more competition there. Uh, Zavion Capers had had a really good season for Auburn last year. In the case of Shadrick Jackson uh, being the starter, I think it's just a uh, it's just consistency. I think the veteran proves to be the most consistent and the most reliable guy in preseason camp, and that's why he's got the job. I think Elijah Canyon, though, uh, there are a few guys on this team that have both the size and the speed that he brings to the table. He's very he's a very um, very high potential player in that aspect. Um, but I think a lot of people saw him shine in the spring. I think they saw him, you know, play well in the bowl game. And um, but I mean, there was a lot of competition there. He's still a very young player; who doesn't have a ton of experience. Uh, whereas guys, like, a guy like Cedric Jackson, and then also a guy like Xavier Cambridge, just play a little bit more football. And I think that's why um, I think that's why you're seeing him uh, kind of not be on this depth chart early on. But no, I think I think there's opportunities for guys later on down the depth chart to get some opportunities in game one and game two if, if they go as expected because these, these, these should be two pretty big blowouts. Speaking with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer, any other surprises on this depth chart for you? I know that Dreshawn Miller's name isn't listed on it. Yeah, Miller wasn't surprising that much to me. I think, you know, in the beginning of fall camp, we saw him working with the third team and he just didn't really move past that. Every time we saw him, he was kind of in the same spot, right? So, that wasn't much of a surprise to me. Um, and I, you know, again, it's one of those things where I don't think he's like, you know, cooked and he's not, there's no way he's going to contribute for Auburn this season. I think these first couple of games could give him some opportunities. Uh, but um, I think it's just as, uh, it says just as much about a guy like Roe Torrance coming in and tearing it up uh, early on in camp, um, you know, a- after being the Juco national player of the year on the defensive side of the football in the spring. Uh, and then, uh, you know, the, the continued development of a guy like Jalen Simpson, um, you know, picking up from where he left off in the spring, I thought was, was very key. Um, I guess the only other surprise for me on the defense was kind of how they, they aligned it. Um, you know, we've heard about them being a three-man front or, you know, when they go to that, that uh, nickel package that we've seen a lot uh, this, uh, this, this offseason, it's been, you know, kind of the, the two edge guys and the two defensive linemen and the two inside linebackers. This alignment's kind of this weird hybrid where it's kind of like a 4-3, but it's also kind of like a 3-4 in certain spots. Um, and so it's interesting. I think that star position where, where you see Chandler Wooten, you know, get him as a starter on the depth chart. It'll be interesting to see if the way Akron aligns, if, they, if that's a matchup they want a lot, if, if they, they do want three traditional linebackers on the field um, more often than not. I'd be curious to see that. 
Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think it's interesting because, you know, you only get two edge guys on there, but you know, we will see quite a few of them, I think, rotate out this season, especially when they get in a third down, third down situation. So the alignment there, uh, not having a nickel either, even though we knew Donovan Coffin was going to be the guy there was pretty surprising. What can we learn from this game against Akron? Bo Nix was asked about that earlier today, and it was kind of, you know, talking about rhythm and, you know, just trying to develop that with the offense and getting everybody on the same page. What what are your takes on what you could possibly learn about Auburn from playing Akron on Saturday? Yeah, I think it's just a fur, it's just a glimpse of what the what the team's strengths are going to be, um, what they could be good at. Now, it's something they can develop over time. And I did a story earlier this week at the Observer where there were some off you know there were some week one games in previous seasons for Auburn where um, you know they looked rough in an area and it didn't matter they overcame it by the middle of the season or you know there was some some bad signs early and and they never kind of recovered and there were some times where things look awesome in week one in these kind of blowout matchups and um they look good the rest of the season so it's kind of hard to kind of parse through okay which sticks and which doesn't but i think on the offensive side i think it's just going to be like all right what is this team's identity going to be we're going to learn more in these first couple games they're going to build out their identity right now we know they want to be pro style we know they want to be multiple and varied they want to be balanced they want to you know be able to hit big plays spread the ball around and, and do a lot of different things right but naturally every team is going to have stuff that they are good at and this is the first these first couple games are going to be a way to show how good they are going to be in certain areas whether it's leaning on the running game more what the running game may look like uh who to who to trust in the passing game what kind of throws what kind of uh you know concepts work the best for them i think that's what you do and then you build and adapt on that and tweak it as the season goes on so i think that's what you're going to learn on the offensive and the defensive end i think it's an opportunity where you know we've seen in the past in, in in these matchups, if Auburn looks really good on defense against an overmatched opponent in Week One, that's usually a good sign for the future because uh, just good defense just plays plays really well. I mean, there's no real way to be vanilla on defense like there might be on offense and not show as much. It's just can you execute? Can you perform? Um, so I, I think what you could learn about this defense is like, okay, can this new look defensive front? get to the quarterback more regularly, um, you know, provide that kind of pressure that you need. Does the secondary in those certain spots where they've re, re, uh, reloaded a little bit um, kind of get going that way. But, yeah, I think offensively we're going to learn more about kind of what the strengths of this team, what the identity is going to be. And I think defensively I think it's just a first run to say, okay, how good could this defense be? I think if they play really well in week one, uh, you know, I think you can see that there, there, there'd be a high ceiling for this group. Last question to you before we let you get out of here. Give us a scouting report on the Akron Zips. What are you looking at from that bunch? Yeah, Akron is, I mean, to be quite honest, they're a bad football team. They were really bad last season. Uh, they beat Bowling Green um, in a in a game that kind of felt like an anomaly because the rest of the year they got, they got kind of torched. Um, you know, one of the worst offenses in the country last season in points per game and yards per play. Um, the worst at yards per play on defense, and the problem there is they only played MAC opponents. Um, <laughs> they've got some unknowns on the offensive side of the ball. They were missing their top quarterback last season. The guy had been a three-year starter for them, so they've got a fifth-year senior who's going to be coming back at quarterback. And he's a he's a solid back passer. He's not going to you know, necessarily like Cato Nelson. He's not necessarily going to just light uh, light anybody up, um, but he's solid. He can be good. Doesn't turn the ball over a ton. Um, he just has some solid numbers for a Mac quarterback. 
Uh, they've got a new running back from Michigan State who was a three-star. He's a transfer. So you've got a, you've got a little bit of power five talent coming in there. got a big tight end that I think they want to throw the ball to a decent bit. Uh, defensively, they've got some experience in some key areas. Um, but like I said, it was just, I mean, how much how much does experience help you when you were, when you were as bad as you were last season? And then I've heard uh, a couple times actually this week that Akron's kind of been going through it in the off season with some COVID issues. So there's really just kind of this unknown vibe of like, okay, what is this team going to look like uh, on Saturday? So, I mean, Auburn's a 37 point favorite for a reason. And there's so many question marks about Auburn and there haven't been all off season. Uh, but I think when you look at the numbers and you just look at what Akron could be, um, yeah, this, this should not be a game where Auburn is struggling that much. I mean, if they do, you know, there's going to be a lot of work to do in 2021, but uh, I think this is going to be a game where when it's all said and done, Auburn's, Auburn will be able to put them away because I think Akron, not really good last season against less, lesser quality competition, and uh, they've got a lot of unknowns and a lot of question marks after a weird offseason. Justin, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can find all of your content. Yeah, AuburnObserver.com. Check it out. Uh, it is going to, is going to be a pretty pretty big week uh, there. We've already had a couple of newsletters this week. We'll have our premium podcast out for our subscribers on Thursday, mailbag on Friday, have coverage all weekend long from the game uh, and what comes up. have a film room of some kind next Monday, which are always popular. So a lot of stuff, AuburnObserver.com. Sign up there and, and subscribe, and everything we do uh, gets sent to your email inbox. Appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a great afternoon. Yeah, all too. Thank you. That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Yeah, he brings up that film room. It definitely is popular, and that's that's going to be one of those signs. College football's back when you get to early next week and you see a film room about the Acro game. Yeah, it's going to be absolutely fantastic, and yeah, I love absolutely. It's something that I've missed during this summer. I've just gone back and just watched film on YouTube. Like, Man, I watched the Nebraska Illinois game like three times this week already. So this is what I'm it, weird. This is what I've been doing. I'll watch Boise games. I'll watch Mike Bobo games, and then I will watch Auburn games <laughs> just to kind of get a feel for what's actually going to happen this season. Just trying to coach myself up and try and get back into the swing of things. And yeah, uh, film room one of my favorite things to do during uh, during my uh, downtime. Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390, and our text line at 334-564-1840. When we come back, we talk about what three things we will be keyed into for Albert's first game against Akron. You don't want to miss that conversation. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. A lot of good things happening on the show today. We just spoke with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer. If you missed any of that, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Before we wrap up our number one here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. All right, everybody, America's Got Talent has the first semifinals tonight at 7 on NBC. Spectre, this one is for you if you're out there listening. Capital One College Bowl follows it at 9 with the second semifinal matchup as Alabama and USC square off. Winner will take on Auburn. And the finals, Lego Masters is on Fox at 7. 
And live sports, U.S. Open tennis is on ESPN from 6 to 10 p.m. with day two first-round matches in the Grand Slam event. MLB baseball is on FS1 at 8.30 with two divisional leaders squaring off. The Milwaukee Brewers are at the San San Francisco Giants. A pair of sports documentaries are on ESPN2 at 7. Catch E60 Presents Comeback Season, which takes a look at sports in the aftermath of the September 11th attacks. SEC Storied will follow it at 8 with the Book of Manning, taking a look at the story of football's Manning family. And that is what's on TV tonight. Lance, what are you going to be looking at? Uh, I'm probably going to be watching some more film tonight. I'm probably going to be watching some (laughs) recaps, man. That's what I'm looking forward to tonight, man. I'm so excited. We get uh, football on Thursday. We've got some interesting matchups. Ohio State, Minnesota, Tennessee's going to play. You talked about it to open the show. You were saying, like, well... College football is officially kicked off. I'm like, no, no, no. It doesn't officially kick off till SEC football happens because everybody gets ready whenever SEC football starts. You saw it last season. Even though everybody's starting at the same time this year, I think it still stands. SEC football is when things officially kick off around here. Number to call, 334-321-1390. And uh, I, I guess we, like, summoned him. Specter's on the line with us. Specter, how's it going? Yeah, you woke me up. <laughs> What's up? Well, you're a little bit off target here. Um, Auburn's not in the finals. Oh, they got beat by Columbia? Uh, yep, they lost oh, the last oh. season. Chase of 2013. Jeez. I, well, I goofed on that. I thought they made it. I thought they did as well. They had it in the bag and uh, lost the last two minutes on the, uh, on the quick drill. How many, how many correct answers you can get within two minutes? Right. And oh, the, I goofed. The, yeah, the, and the uh, kicker is you get to pick your own subject. Come and Auburn, Auburn picked liberal arts. Oh, well, Auburn's not a liberal arts school, let me tell you. <laughs> that was mistake number one. Uh, Columbia picked history, and they got the most correct correct answers in the last two minutes to, to get ahead of Auburn. So that's how they lost it. Brutal. Well, Alabama USC. I guess I guess you're rooting for USC tonight. Well, no. Oh, so you so you're so you're going to be rooting for Alabama tonight? Hey, I'm an SEC guy. Oh, see, I I I don't vibe with that, Specter. I'm a I, I, I uh, Auburn alone, right? Like I, I it doesn't help Auburn for other SEC teams to win. <laughs> That's it. That's the only SEC team left, so I'm going with them. All right. Spectre, uh, we asked this to folks earlier, and uh, just want to get your thoughts since we've got you on the line right now. Um, who do you think is going to be the leading receiver and catches for Auburn on Saturday? I have no idea. I don't, <laughs> even, I don't even know if we got a quarterback. That's well, yeah, <laughs> sure. If we don't know if Bo Nix has gotten that much better, that's right. Yeah, just that's right. T- take a shot in the dark. These three players, all right, just choose one: Shedrick Jackson, Javarius Johnson, or Demetrius Robertson. Uh, I'll go with Jackson. Okay, I like that. I've been I've been high on Jackson for so long. I hope the guy finally breaks through. Yeah, and uh, I, I hope that uh, Nick's does really well. I really do. And again, like we've been been saying for the last three years, it depends on our offensive line. And I ain't seen anything. I have not seen anything that changes my mind about that. Yeah, and the, you won't until they uh, they hit the field, right? And that's a good th- good thing. Why we got football this Saturday? That's right. We got two exhibition games coming up, so we'll look see what we got after that. That's right. Appreciate it, Specter. Hey guys. 
That was Spectre on the line with us. If you want to join into the show, call in at 334-321-1390. Any thoughts there? Receiver play? Yeah, again, I think uh, Javaris Johnson, I don't necessarily think he's going to be Auburn's yards leader, but I think, like you mentioned, I think he's a threat in the intermediate game, and I think he's going to get a lot of balls thrown his way. I'll say this about the offensive line as well. I have to see him play to know how far forward they have taken, but I do think that they have progressed just by establishing chemistry and consistency through these first two weeks. I think that's maybe why you saw cross-training for for so long this offseason that you knew that you had two weeks to kind of figure things out even after the start of the regular season. This offensive line that we've got in front of us on the depth chart, Austin Troxell, left tackle, Brandon Council, left guard, Nick Brahms at center, Keontre Jones at right guard, and the Broderius Ham at right tackle. Those five, I think that's Auburn's best five. Yeah, and that makes me feel good. Yeah, and in terms of like things that you're keyed in and keyed into, like you said, all of the offensive line. Listen, I think this this passing game is going to be efficient. This offensive line isn't going to have to block for a ton of time whenever these intermediate routes come into play. So that's something that I'm going to be looking at: is how efficient is the passing game, and is Nick's going to be able to get it out of his hand and to the right place, make the right decision? That's something else that I'm going to be looking to. It's just efficiency from this whole team. I think is what I'm going to be keyed into. Is just how quickly does Auburn knock off the rust and I'm not expecting a blowout I'm not expecting 80 yard touchdowns every play I just want them to go out there and look like the better team that's it for our number one of the Tuesday edition of on the line if you missed any of it go and find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify Stitcher iHeartRadio hour number two coming up at 3 p.m. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 106.7 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with the ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun show today. If you missed any of it, go and find the podcast. If you're joining us via the podcast, well, thanks for listening. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Both of those lines open. Find us on Twitter at Point Gardner at Dahl Pound. Starting off hour number two, as we do every day, our making headlines segment, bouncing around some of the different headlines happening in the sports world today. And bad news for a former Auburn quarterback, Cam Newton, has been cut by the New England Patriots. What is next for the former Auburn quarterback? I said this back during the pandemic when he was first let go by the Panthers. I said, This is the precipice for the Auburn quarterback really going into that last season that he had with the Panthers I said this is the precipice for the Auburn quarterback that I didn't know if he was going to be able to return from this his career was dangling by a thread and uh, I still think it's I still think it's kind of looking like that at the moment yeah absolutely I I'm really I'm not necessarily confused like really perplexed by the move but I mean wouldn't you want to have a little bit of depth on your roster 100% you know so like yeah when you're looking at the situation and you're starting a rookie quarterback right that's the move you went with if he's good he's good all right that's awesome but if he gets injured 
or if he starts to mess up and you need somebody with experience to come in, would you rather have Brian Hoyer or would you rather have Cam Newton, even in his current state? I would have I I would not have cut him. I'll, to be I'll fair, this may have been also out of respect to Cam Newton, sure. who posted something earlier today that basically said, "Don't feel sorry for me." This could have been out of respect to Cam Newton to say, "Look, man, you're not a backup in this league." go and find a place to start because there are teams that need starting QBs Houston Texans could need one the Denver Broncos need one there are other teams in the NFL this year that need a starting quarterback Bishop Sycamore I mean there's a, <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of them they need a coach right now I was I was told before we went on air that they actually let their coach go which is which is disappointing so yeah absolutely there are different uh teams in this league that need a quarterback and sure I'd like to I'd like to think that's the narrative like I'd like to think that out of respect for Cam Newton they said look you're obviously talented enough to start in this league you did it with us you did it with the Panthers you've won MVP before you're not a backup to a rookie so out of respect we're going to let you you go and we're going to let you find somewhere that you can actually start and you can earn some money and you can display your talent because obviously you're a really talented guy I think as far as system fit the way that New England's run their offense uh, for the past 15 years or so under Tom Brady I do think Jones is the better option even though obviously Tom Brady's not there anymore and they're running a little bit of a different system but I think for the New England style the way that they want to play football Mac Jones is the better quarterback to go with so if I'm Cam Newton like you said I'm not upset don't feel sorry for me everything's going to be fine you're right there are teams out there like the Broncos like the Houston Texans that could potentially pick him up. If there was a specific team in mind, Noah, that you would want Cam Newton to go to that would be a good fit for him, where do you think he would potentially land? Denver Broncos makes a lot of sense. At this point, the battle would be between him and Teddy Bridgewater, who did win the starting quarterback job over Drew Locke. I think there's some decent arms in that room. Like I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is bad per se. I just think he's average. Same thing with Drew Locke, but there's still a lot of potential there for a guy like Drew for a guy like Drew Locke and how young he is. Cam Newton, on the other hand, would you want to bring him into Denver knowing that if Teddy Bridgewater isn't doesn't end up working out, would you rather go to Drew Locke or would you rather go to Cam Newton? And even internally, I'm answering my own question with I would rather go at least with the way that the Denver Broncos organization is set up at this moment because you're not winning your division you're not and the Raiders are probably better than you as well and the Chargers have a young quarterback that can put them on the map a bit this year as well so you you know that you're you're gonna have a really hard time making the playoffs if you're the Denver Broncos and they're not quite there yet they're still at a a development point why would you go to Cam Newton instead of Drew Locke I would probably go to Drew Locke still even in that situation now as former head coach Ron Rivera at Washington football team right now has Ryan Fitzpatrick, Kyle Allen, and Taylor Heineke. Okay, so there's a, you know, and I I think Ron Rivera liked Cam a lot, you know. Now, that's another team that I throw out there. Now, would I take Ryan Fitzpatrick or Cam Newton at this point? I'd probably take Cam, but Ryan Fitzpatrick still can win you some ball games. It's magic, yes, sir, absolutely. Those were the two, uh, two of the teams that I was going to mention, and then, uh, like you said, Washington. I think also, although this is not an ideal landing spot, if you're talking about teams that could potentially need a quarterback in the future. Look, the Daniel Jones experiment with the New York Giants, I don't think has really worked out up until this point. If you want to bring a backup in in case Jones get gets hurt, or if you want somebody that could potentially overthrow him at that starting spot, I think you could put him in the Giants. Now, it's not again, it's not ideal, but that would be a place you could look. And then Jabari Smith, 
uh, current Auburn basketball player, I believe he tweeted out earlier today, or he might have put it on his Instagram story, saying that he would like to see Cam Newton uh, go to the Falcons. Now, I'm not sure why you would want him to go to the Falcons other than to br- just to bring him home and to back up Matt Ryan, but like you and I have talked about, he's not a, a backup quarterback in this league. I would like to see him just come closer to the area, but that, again, not an ideal move, but something interesting to think about. Falcons don't make a ton of sense there. Sorry, Jabari, but... You know, if he's going to end, I don't think he's going to land as a backup somewhere. He, he may he may not land at all if he's not a starter. I don't know what Maybe this looks league. like for Cam Newton. No, don't don't <laughs> don't put that evil on me. Don't say that. But um, yeah, I think Washington football team honestly is an interesting one. But they have so many QBs at the moment. I do kind of wonder if what Ron Rivera is thinking at this moment about Cam Newton being released and cut. So that would be an interesting take on the situation let's move to another interesting quarterback situation I don't know how an SEC school regresses to this point but they did South Carolina's had to go to their coaching staff now to find a quarterback to play because they've ran out of them Zeb Nolan graduate assistant turned starting quarterback for the South Carolina Gamecocks in their season opener against Eastern Illinois I'm wondering to myself how does a position group regress to this point how do you not have more quarterbacks on your roster that you had to go to a graduate assistant for his last season now he wasn't horrible in his college career but he wasn't great either and he's been he's played at North Dakota State he's played at Iowa State now Zeb Noland named the starting quarterback in South Carolina boys I told y'all about him a couple of weeks ago. I just threw out his name, said that he still existed, and he had transferred to South Carolina. Here he is now. <laughs> there he is. But yeah, like you mentioned, he was not. He wasn't. He wasn't very good at Iowa State, and he wasn't. He wasn't very good at an FCS school in North Dakota State either. Uh, you and I were talking about his numbers uh, off air, and I believe he had five touchdowns to six picks with North Dakota State. Is that correct? As I'm a going backup, to fact check that. As, but a, as a backup to Trey Lance, yeah. And then six touchdowns to two interceptions over the course of two seasons as a backup at Iowa State. Yeah, I agree with you as far as the where South Carolina is as an SEC school. I mean, is this really the best that y'all could get? Uh, at the quarterback spot whenever your number one guy goes down looking at his game logs last year he did throw six interceptions only five touchdowns he threw multiple picks in two games last season in a backup role might I add against Illinois State and North Dakota he had 13 attempts each threw two picks in those ball games only completed 46.2 percent of his passes against Illinois State 38.5 percent against North Dakota threw a touchdown against North Dakota none against Illinois State of course once again he had better games outside of that but he did not have he only had one ball game last year where he threw a touchdown and no interceptions all other games that he threw a touchdown it was accompanied by an interception this guy is not this is not a great answer for South Carolina at this point if you're basing it off of last year's production at North Dakota State which is one of the best FCS programs yeah absolutely I will say and I don't think this accounts for much of anything but I want to throw it out there anyway his best game in terms in terms of passing yards uh, was actually against Oklahoma in 2018 he had 360 passing yards two touchdowns one pick not a great stat line like not like blow you out of the water in terms of the touchdowns to interceptions but 360 60 passing yards against what has consistently been a top 10 team for the past few seasons I mean he's shown flashes of it occasionally but this is not the guy that you want starting week one at an SEC school that's trying to rebuild. Moving on to our next headline. You brought this up during the break, and uh, I don't know how this slipped through the cracks because I, I posted this to Twitter earlier, but Alabama men's basketball 
announced their non-conference slate and it's got some tough teams in it yeah and if you want to go check out the entire slate you can go to radioalabamasports.net we got an article up there of the press release and you can read all of the games i'm going to go through them here real quick they open up the season against louisiana tech uh the defending uh cusa west division champion uh alabama will then play south dakota state south alabama and oakland and then they will go to Orlando, Orlando, Florida for the ESPN uh, Events Invitational. They will either take on Belmont or Drake, and neither of those two teams are, are joking. They play whatsoever. Iona in the first-round game, though. Right, they play Iona in the first round. Sorry, I missed that. They play Iona, and then they will either play Belmont or Drake, and then they will go to – they will open December in Seattle, Washington, and they will take on either – uh, they, yeah, they will take on Gonzaga in the uh, battle in Seattle, and a week later they will take on Houston. So there's two final, two, four, two from, final four teams, and then they get Baylor later on in the Big Twelve SEC Challenge. Right. They play at Memphis, uh, the 2021 NIT uh, champions. They play Jacksonville State, Colorado State, and then, like you said, they play Baylor in the SEC Big 12 Challenge. That is three Final Four teams from last season. And then there are a couple of uh, mid-major schools, some some smaller schools thrown in there that are really, really solid programs. Belmont, Drake was good last season. Memphis, recruiting-wise, one of the best teams in the entire country. I'm not sure where their coaching is at with Penny Hardaway, Hardaway but they're still very talented. Jacksonville State's been pretty good Jackson- in the Ohio Valley. Jacksonville State's pretty good. Like I mentioned at the top, Louisiana Tech won their division uh, in in the CUSA. I mean, this is going to be a really, really tough test. And then you have to play SEC play. And the SEC is going to be one of the best. The SEC's trajectory over like the past five or six years to get to the point where it is now, I mean, top to bottom, it's it's. I wouldn't say it's the most complete team in all, or conference in all college basketball, but it's more complete than where it used to be from top to bottom in terms of the recruit, recruits that they get outside of just Kentucky, the coaches, the talent, the atmosphere around some of these programs. You look at a place like Auburn, obviously. I mean, this is going to be a really tough season for Alabama, and I'm not saying the bad things are going to happen. It's just going to be, it's going to be an extreme test. Moving on to our next headline, the NLE standings got a little bit tighter last night as the Phillies won their fourth game in the row, and the Braves lost the series opener to the Dodgers. Yeah, and look, obviously the Braves were going to have their work cut out for them on the road playing the Dodgers and it's it's really really important though it's not it's not a reason or an excuse to lose Atlanta's got to be able to continue to pick it up look they, they they're they're still sitting at the top like you mentioned of their division but the Phillies are getting closer and closer three and a half games behind they beat the Nationals they'll get to play them again uh, tonight I believe Atlanta's got to be able to find a win here the Braves get swept I mean the Phillies and the Phillies keep winning which is fathomable with who they're playing I mean it's it's a one it's a one game lead all of a sudden exactly exactly and then Atlanta you look at their schedule after the Dodgers they get a little bit of a reprieve but like you mentioned on yesterday's show it's not that much of a reprieve they have to play uh, at the Rockies and it's four games there in Colorado but the the Rockies aren't that bad like in terms of like fourth place teams in all of Major League Baseball I believe you they said have one yesterday. of the best records they have the best record of all fourth place NL teams right now there are a couple in the American League that have just as good but very few fourth place teams in baseball are going to have the record that the Rockies have at this point especially when you look at the division that they're playing in which is one of the deepest divisions if if not the if not the deepest it may be the second deepest alongside the American League East the NL West is as good as it comes and again I'm just 
it was really, really important for Atlanta to win that series against the Giants. And it is really, really important that if they at least take one game from the Dodgers to kind of help themselves out now after uh, before rather traveling to Colorado, because those four games are not going to be easy outs. If Braves fans thought that the work was done after they built, you know, a five and a half game lead over the Phillies as of last week, you can already see it shrinking down to three and a half right now in the standings. The Mets are starting to win a couple of games here. I think the Mets, I would probably exclude the Mets at this point, being seven games back. I think it's going to be very difficult for them to make it back from where they're at. But I would not be shocked. Like There, there is still very much so a lot of time and a lot of room for the Philadelphia Phillies to take this division. The, the job is not done yet, especially when you look at the Braves' schedule upcoming. The Phillies don't have easy series either, but you may be looking at a situation here where if the Braves go through a bit of a rough patch and you get to the end of this upcoming month here in September and you're looking at this race for the NL East, that last series is against the Philadelphia Phillies. Well, it's against the New York, New York Mets, but the second to last series is right. against the Philadelphia Phillies. That's going to be very important. And you go back to the beginning of the year when the Braves were losing ball games, and I said this back in the spring, right when it began, back in April. I said this when the Braves came out to a slow start and they lost those close games to some of those teams early on, like the Phillies, like the Mets. I said, look, you may make the argument that this is a 162-game season, but you could get to the end of the schedule here and it could be an insanely close race. Every single game matters. I don't care if it's 1 or 162. And you may be coming back to the end here and you may be looking at the beginning of the season and you may be saying, man, it would have been nice had... uh, had you know the, the umpire not missed that call right, right. <laughs> that, that that guy actually touched the plate you know yeah freeman was safe yeah <laughs> a couple of nights ago i, don't know, well, that, I mean do you was, even remember all the way week, back yeah. to the beginning of the season when when the guy didn't even touch the plate yep like come on yep and atlanta atlanta has gotten i feel like i, I feel like robbed obviously the game wasn't over yet but i feel like the atlanta's gotten robbed in two on two or three occasions throughout this season and like you said it doesn't matter how many games there are on this are on the schedule it may come down at the end of the season to those one or two games being the ultimate factor and whether or not you make the postseason if you get at home field if you get home field advantage to start it's really important that you go out there and you give your best every single matchup and Atlanta's got their work cut out for them moving forward there were just a lot of missed victories out there a couple of series with the Nationals and the Marlins that were dropped I mean they lost three out of four early on back in April to the Marlins it's like those are wins right now that you really wish you had in the in this in this league at this point with but it's been such an underwhelming National League East where people thought it would have been really competitive at this point that's it for our making headline segment when we come back we talk about what three things we will be keyed into for Auburn's first game against Akron you're listening to On the Line about 40 minutes left in the Tuesday edition of On the Line Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama Auburn High School took down Opelika this past weekend, 16-14. This week's Point Broadband High School Player of the Week is Auburn High School's Carson Yancey. The senior quarterback posted five tackles, two pass breakups, and a pivotal interception to lead Auburn to the 16-14 win over rival Opelika. The Tigers are 2-0 on the year with a region opener against Prattville on the road this Friday. Carson Yancey, your Point Broadband High School Player of the Week. Point Broadband, smarter, faster, fiber internet, point-broadband.com. Auburn taking that 16-14 win over Opelika. Very close. And you can tell the quality in that football game. If you haven't been to one, if you're if you're an outsider, if you're a college student, you haven't been to 
an Auburn Opelika high school football game before you graduate before you move on I hope you get the opportunity to experience it Brady I know you were sick on Friday but man you missed uh you missed a good ball game so yeah, yeah absolutely and and I got to see a couple different the highlights and I believe Auburn's kicker drilled like a plus 50 yard field goal Josh Housley's like, got a leg man just like just just balling out there just no chill yeah, he uh, he drilled a uh, fifty-seven yarder, but yeah, wow. it, got, it got called back for a false start. But he also <sighs> made a fifty-one yarder that counted. Dude, that's a, that's really. Owsley's got a leg, man. Man, if Auburn if Auburn wants a kicker, I mean, like they should they should be going after that guy after uh, after Alex McPherson uh, leaves the program. I think he, well, Owsley's if not graduating this year, I think graduates next oh, year. Right. I, I think this is it. Like it, it's not that far, but he's got an offer from Troy, so he he could be an in-state product relatively soon but just years match up you know Auburn went with Alex McPherson but Owsley yep. can kick the ball a long way going to what we are actually going to talk about here in this segment what three things will we be keyed into for Auburn's first game against Akron we want to hear from you as well whatever's on your mind 334-321-1390 text line at 334-564-1840 Lance we did this for Alabama yesterday what three things will you be keyed into for Auburn's first game against Akron not keys but what things will you be locked into on the game yeah one of the things I'm going to be watching and I, I I touched on it just for a little bit before we went to break uh, at the end of the first hour is the efficiency of this passing game I think Auburn obviously throughout their scrimmages and throughout fall practice has been working really really hard on getting this team comfortable in uncomfortable situations and I don't think you're going to see a lot of those this Saturday I think you're going to see Auburn just kind of do what they want but I want this game for Auburn offensively to be efficient but I'm looking specifically at this passing game can Bo Nix complete 65 to 70 percent of his passes I'm not asking him to be perfect I'm just asking him to to throw the ball at a higher clip than 59 58 percent I believe was where he's hovering around on his over the course of his entire career Jeremy Johnson has a higher career completion percentage than Bo Nix right now through two seasons so does Sean White boys that's what that's like one of my first show on, uh, with you know I was talking about I was like yeah Sean White was a more efficient passer than Bo Nix at least at the moment I think that's going to change this season but game one he's got to be able to go out there and, and, and complete passes better than 60% of the time and these receivers I think are going to get open like you mentioned talking about Javaris Johnson intermediate game I think Auburn's going to be working a ton of that this game and then occasionally I think you'll see the long ball Auburn's going to be trying to work out the kinks offensively, getting this pass protection set up, but this group has got to be able to go out there and complete passes and be efficient. Again, like I said at the end of the first hour, I'm not asking them to hit 80-yard, 75-yard touchdowns. I'm just asking them to go out there and, and look competent, look like they are the better offensive. They're better than the defense. To piggyback on what you're saying there about an efficient passing game, I think you have to look at Bo Nix, the quarterback, and, and see what signs of improvement there is for him from a mechanic standpoint. You know, are you stepping into the throws? Are your feet on the ground? Do you have happy feet? Those little things, you know, are you throwing off your back foot? All those little things that we saw last season that aren't optimal for a quarterback to be practicing when he is uh, when he's trying to improve and whatnot. And then also that combined his mechanics with decision making. Is he making quick decisions? Are there times, and there will be times in the Akron game, and this isn't a bad thing if a receivers if receivers get covered. Sometimes the, the defense just makes a good play. Sometimes the defense has the right call in. I'm curious to see at what times, and this will occur at some point in the ball game. at least I hope it does, where Bo Nix will have to on, on a few occasions, because I still do think Akron's going to have a hard time covering these Auburn receivers. But, you know, on the you know, three or four times that this does occur, 
does Bo Nix go through his progressions does he go from that first read to the second read to the third read can you visibly see him is he not staring down receivers can you visibly see him on the field coming across the field and scanning the field with his eyes and literally going through the progression of his reads to make the right throw everything's not going to be perfect against Akron it's a football game as bad as Akron may be do not expect everything to go right against Akron that's just unrealistic even against an FCS team we've even seen Alabama be like what 10 to 3 tied or something like that with the Citadel like this happens okay it's a football game bad things will occur at some point Akron will beat Auburn on a play all right that 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 is just how football works when that occurs how does Bo Nix react to the very little bit that there will be cookie crumbs in this ballgame there will be very few times where he will actually be challenged but on the handful of times that you can count on five fingers that he was challenged on a play how did he react to said challenge and how did the the play turn out that will be what the number one thing that like I'm going to be keyed into because that can give you a look into how things will how things will progress for Auburn in the passing game when you go and take on someone like Penn State and there will be a lot of pressure in Happy Valley you won't be able to just count it on five fingers you'll have to have you know multiple hands so that that that's what I'm getting at there I'm gonna for for my second thing that I'm gonna be looking at I'm gonna flip it to the defense I'm gonna say Auburn getting off the field on third down they had one of the best third down defenses in the entire country in 2019 an interesting stat here from a youtube channel the war report they do a lot of great auburn content if you want to watch somebody live streaming on a saturday night go watch the war report they have some great numbers they break down a lot of different auburn stuff auburn was in the bottom 10 of the entire country in terms of third down conversion percentage allowed bottom 10 they need to be able to get off the field more consistently in order for this uh, for this defense to have more success, and I believe they will. Auburn's going to have to be able to shut down Cato Nelson and make sure that he does not extend plays whenever he gets into third and medium, third and long, and bring him down. He's a versatile, mobile quarterback. He's not again. He's not great. It's Akron, but they're going to be able to need to do that against teams like Akron in order to prove that they can do it against teams like Texas A&M, Alabama. LSU, Georgia, they've got to be able to do the little things and get off the field really well against Akron in order for me to see that they have the ability to do it again against against really good competition. Something else I'll be keyed into for Auburn's first game against Akron, and we want to hear from you as well. What are your thoughts on this? 334-321-1390 is our number to call. Text line at 334-564-1840. We'll read your text on air. So uh, if you're on the go, shoot it to us, 334-564-1840. I'm going to be looking at pass protection, of course. This is obvious. How often does Akron get into the backfield? It will happen at some point because, once again, it is a football game and Akron will beat Auburn on a play. That will happen. But how often does it happen? And does it happen so often that I'm thinking to myself, man, the offensive line was a problem today because if that's the case, then the issues from last season probably aren't rectified and I'm going to have a hard time believing that they're going to be rectified by the Penn State game. And my view of that Penn State game very very well may change after Saturday if the O-line is not is not consistently keeping Akron out of the backfield. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it goes back to what you and I are talking about in terms of this being an efficient pass offense. It all starts with that offensive line and whether or not they able to, they're able to block better than they were last season. I think that's a fantastic point. Absolutely. Look at the offensive line and see how they're blocking whenever Bonix drops back to pass. Are they looking more comfortable than they were last season? And are they keeping the pressure out of his face? My third point, 
third thing rather that I'm going to be looking at is how does this 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 uh, secondary play? They were fourth best in the SEC in total yards allowed per game, passing yards allowed per game last season, but they were they were not great in terms of national play. Obviously, because every, everybody had issues on defense. But I'm going to be interested to see how all these new faces on the defensive side of the ball, specifically in that secondary, are going to react against Akron. I don't think Akron's going to be be able to really throw the ball much at all this game. But I want this team, this secondary, to look aggressive. I want them. I want to see them create at least one turnover. And again, I'm not expecting perfection. I'm expecting them to play at the level that they should against this type of competition. This secondary should feast. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. Between the Max Roundtable, On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, there's seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. 30 minutes left in the Tuesday edition of On the Line. We'll be back with what can we learn from each of the Week 1 SEC matchups. All that and more here on On the Line. Thirty minutes left to the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow those stations at ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports 983 on Twitter and Facebook. Number to call 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. Talked a lot about Auburn's matchup with Akron today as well as giving three breakout defensive players on the Auburn depth chart. Spoke with Justin Ferguson today of the Auburn Observer. Heavy Auburn show today. Even talked about former Auburn quarterback Cam Newton. If you missed any of today's show, go and find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio to get the On The Line podcast on demand. Now we're going to shift away to the rest of the Southeastern Conference here for our last two segments. What can we learn from each of these Week 1 SEC matchups? I've got a list of nine here. I omitted a few because they just weren't that interesting to me. But this is one that I think folks are going to be like, and this one was Bowling Green at Tennessee. (laughs) I think this team very much so ranks up there with UConn and New Mexico State. We should have a college football playoff of the four worst teams in college football. You know what we should do? Akron, New Mexico State, Bowling Green, and UConn. Who comes out on top? How about we do do this every single week on Monday after after college football on on Saturday, and then there are going to be a couple games on Sunday. Actually, there is a game on Monday as well. Louisville uh, Ole Miss. Louisville Ole Miss. We should break down the we should update it every single week the four worst teams in all of college football and at the end of the season we should put them in a hypothetical playoff and discuss who would win <laughs> that would be an that would be such a fantastic thing we to might have to, to do that off air i don't know if people sure. want to listen to us but I, I'm, I'm i'm game we can follow it all year long all right i'm i'm more than i'm more than down to do that off you know we used to have the wheel of misfortune maybe i could change it to the playoff of misfortune hey let's go <laughs> That might actually be a pretty good segment. I I think we could do that. That'd be fun. Bowling Green at Tennessee. What is one thing we can learn from this ball game on Saturday? Whether or not no Thursday, excuse me. Whether or not this Josh Heupel offense is fun, quote unquote, because that's what the receivers has have labeled it as. It's a fun offense. They're going to throw the ball around the yard. It's going to be a ton of fun to watch and a ton of fun to play in against a team like Bowling Green. I would go out there and expect tennessee to just hit bombs i mean i think i think they'll be throwing the ball out i mean akron the beat them 31 to 3 yeah this, if you think akron's bad 
Bowling Green is on their level, and statistically, I actually think they're just slightly worse than Akron. I mean, this this Tennessee offense should take off on Saturday, and if it doesn't, will kind of give an indication as to where they are offensively. I, I at least I feel like I instantly became skeptical when Joe Milton was named the starting quarterback, and a big part of that has to do with his play at Michigan. Was the scheme the issue? Is Joe Milton going to be the answer? The the key that fits for Tennessee's offense to all of a sudden flourish wasn't overly impressed with him as a passer sub 60 percent completion percentage four touchdowns to four picks at Michigan and they're probably a little bit more talented up there in Ann Arbor than they are in Knoxville Tennessee based off of recruiting rankings and whatnot but things just haven't quite worked out in Michigan for Jim Harbaugh recently Josh Heupel very up-tempo offense this may end up being the fastest offense in the SEC aside from Ole Miss in terms of play count this upcoming season these guys want to go NASCAR fast and the the thing that I'm looking at that I think we can learn what does the Tennessee offensive rhythm look like is Joe Milton a more efficient a more accurate passer because this offense will not work if he isn't I was shocked to see he was named the start over Hendon Hooker because you compare the two guys film from last year Hendon Hooker was a much better quarterback last season at Virginia Tech but I guess he didn't pick up the offense as well as Joe Milton has. We'll see what that looks like against Bowling Green at 7 on SEC Network on Thursday. That's your SEC. That, that, that's the kickoff for the SEC season. Once again, on Thursday at 7 p.m. on SEC Network. Moving to Saturday now, UL Monroe at Kentucky. Terry Bowden, head coach of the UL Monroe Warhawks, taking on Will Levis and the Kentucky Wildcats. What can we learn here? Yeah, I think the thing that we can learn here is, does Will Levis have the arm to be more than just a game manager? It's something that Kentucky has needed in order for their offense and their team to kind of gel and to kind of click. Just somebody that can throw the football. We're not necessarily asking Will Levis to throw the football every single down. We just need him to do it whenever we want to mix things up, whenever Chris Rodriguez is not running over people and, and scoring touchdowns. Does he have the arm to air it out and to get it to players like Wondell Robinson and Josh Ali? Is this Kentucky offense going to be diverse? And I think it all relies on Will Levis's arm you want to hear a wild stat about uh about chris rodriguez in phil Stills' book apparently across two seasons he averaged like 7.9 yards per carry last year he was at 6.6 but still man chris rodriguez when you said running over people that guy's a stud yeah i'm kind of in the same boat with you we get to see will levis in the supposed new passing scheme apparently there's a new passing scheme in lexington this year that's going to shake things up a bit that they haven't had these last couple years which is true i'm not debating they haven't had it okay but the question is is it has it arrived in the bluegrass state well how much can you really take away from them beating up on UL Monroe look if it's if they only win like 35 to 14 I think that probably tells you a little bit but if they could go out there and actually put up you know more than 40 points then you know maybe maybe it has arrived yeah I'll say this this new passing scheme like ooh, look at this new Kentucky passing scheme sounds sounds familiar sounds familiar I'll just say that sounds familiar and then also uh, I expect uh, banana peel eating Will Levis to uh, to to, <laughs> to bring this team uh, to glory at the end of the season. I think they're going to do some great things. Moving on to our next game, number one Alabama against number fourteen Miami, two thirty p.m. ABC. Yeah, I think the 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 big thing for me in this game is they're going to be going up against a power five opponent in Miami. Does this uh, Alabama offense recess 
and how, does it does it take a step back and how much so I regress recess <laughs> I put I, I put down how much of an offensive uh, regression there is and for some reason I just read recess wow go me hey but recess is kind of like taking taking off time you know so I, I guess that could work too sure but <laughs> my point being they're going to take a step back right it, I, th- I think a lot of people would agree with that when you lose three Heisman candidates and one Heisman winner and you you lose Steve Sarkeesian, one of the best offensive minds in the game, to Texas, I think you're going to take a step back on offense with a freshman quarterback and three total starters coming back. My question is, against a Power 5 legitimate opponent, they're going to actually have to play, instead of getting to blow out a cupcake, how much of a step back do we see them take in this game? And obviously, you don't get to gauge whether or not the offense is t- completely taking a step back just based off of one game, right? Especially the first game of the season. But it's there are going to be some things that, that indicate whether or not it is still on the level that it was last year or if it is taking a step back. It won't be a completed story for the Miami Hurricanes after this ballgame, but I do think that considering they're playing Alabama, a team of quality, a lot of quality, we should know enough about Miami to gauge where they are at in the ACC title race. You're getting to see North Carolina play Virginia Tech on Friday night. You're getting to see Georgia play Clemson on Saturday evening. You're getting to see the three main contenders in the ACC all play meaningful football games right off the bat. You're going to know enough about all three of those teams to know where they stand in the ACC title race. So mine here isn't about Alabama. Mine here is about Miami. I want to know, you know, are, are these guys better than what we've been looking at over the last couple of years? I mean, they go 7-6 and six in 2018, 6-7 and seven in 2019. They were 8-3 and three last year, but in games against good teams, they got shellacked, except in the bowl game against Oklahoma State. And you kind of wonder how good Oklahoma State was based on some of their performances last season. And they were rather underwhelming when they played good teams. So when I see Miami... I want to know when they play a team of, of high quality that could be a playoff contender. I think North Carolina is being put in that boat by a lot of people. Clemson is obviously in that boat. They may even be you know, one of the teams driving that boat, right? Where does Miami stack up compared to those teams? And then playing Alabama this early on gives us a look inside of that. And it gives us a look inside every aspect of their on-field performance because Alabama is going to obviously challenge them in every single facet of the game of football they're going to challenge their secondary because i think bryce young's going to be throwing the football a lot here they're going to challenge their front seven because alabama's got great running backs and a great offensive line and, and in terms of also not not just run stopping for miami but also pass rushing but an area that they've been really talented at over the last several seasons the entire defense will be challenged by the alabama offense then of course the uh, the entire miami offense will be challenged by the alabama defense because I've been highly critical of this scheme. I feel like Rhett Lashley doesn't quite open up the playbook, just like Gus Malzahn did it, and when it has shown when they've played against great teams. Derek King should not be struggling as much as he does when he plays at Clemson, when he plays in North Carolina. Two of his worst games last year on his game logs, definitely that Clemson game. How does he look against Alabama? And, and if he doesn't look good against Alabama, I don't think that we can say that he's going to look good against Clemson yeah sure yeah I, I i agree with that i agree with that but we all want to believe that Miami's going to be a good team i think in the acc it makes the acc more interesting i know you and i both want to see miami play well in this football game it makes the acc a lot more interesting it makes this football game a lot more interesting so that's you you get a deep dive like you you get to see the the inside of the on the field performance of the miami football team everywhere in this football game it's honestly one of the most meaningful games 
of the weekend, if not the most meaningful game. Louisiana Tech at Mississippi State, 3 p.m. ESPNU. What can we learn from Bulldog against Bulldog? I don't think that there are a ton of things that we can glean from this game. I think Mississippi State is going to be able to go out there and handle business. I guess the thing that I'll be looking for is whether or not this air raid is able to kind of pick up and play well against a team of Louisiana Tech's caliber. I mean, it should, honestly. You should be able as an SEC school to throw the ball around. Didn't look great against Tulsa, though, in the bowl game. I was about to say, they've not been able to really show that last season, and then whenever they got to play a non-conference opponent in Tulsa, didn't look so great. It was a really ugly game. Well, you know, Mike Leach is always a hoot when he gets in front of the media, but one of the things that he said about this offense's progression back, I believe, at media days was that they finally know where to go. Like, they're learning the scheme. So how much does having time to actually learn the new offense, to have a second full year under it, to understand it completely, how much does that help this group progress? And does it look seamless against a team like Louisiana Tech? Or are there still some of the same issues that they faced last season? Because Mississippi State does not have some of the best athletes in the SEC. They're in that bottom tier, I think you would say, from an offensive standpoint. If Louisiana Tech is able to play out in space, make open field tackles, if Mississippi State's having to dink and dunk their way down the field, that is not a good sign for when they go and play SEC competition, and namely when they go and play ACC competition the next week against NC State and then even Memphis two weeks later. The schedule only gets incredibly more difficult after this game for Mississippi State. If Louisiana Tech's athletes are able to compete and play well in space against Mississippi State, that is not a good sign for Mississippi State this upcoming year. Can I add on to your analogy of a quarterback needing to be a truck, not a trailer? They also the truck also has to have a GPS system. It has to know where it needs to go. So if we're talking about offensive system and offensive scheme, if we're talking about Will Rogers, not only does he need to be the truck, but he also needs to have a pretty good GPS system to understand where to throw the ball. Last game here before we go to break, another bottom feeder type of ball game this weekend in, in terms of interest, but Kent State at number six, Texas A&M, 7 p.m. ESPNU. What can we learn from the Aggies home opener? I think it revolves around Haynes King. How much, how, how, how comfortable does he look and how comfortable uh, does he look whenever the defense bails him out? Because they are going to bail him out in this game, even though Kent State offensively is really, really strong. Over 300 passing yards, over 280 rushing yards per game from Kent State last season. This defense is going to have its hands full, but it's going to give Haynes King breaks. How does Haynes King react whenever he gets those opportunities, and can he actually lead this team? I like something that you said about will levis earlier a lot you you said does he have the arm to kind of uh, and i'm paraphrasing here now i'm adding a little bit to it but does he have the arm to elevate that kentucky passing attack does he have the arm to revolutionize it a bit in a passing attack that, that was absolutely abysmal i think now you, you draw this back to texas a&m where they had so much consistency out of kellen mond last year he was one of the better quarterbacks in the sec didn't turn the ball over a whole lot it's not like he was scorching the earth every time he stepped out there he did only have 19 touchdowns uh he, he did only have 2200 passing yards nearly 2300 i mean he had less passing yards than bo nicks did last year right it's not like kellen mond was scorching the earth last season but he was consistent he made the right decisions he really didn't make a whole lot of bad plays and guess what that resulted in a nine and one season for texas a&m last year now a lot of things were going right for kellamon last year around him he had a great offensive line honestly probably the second best offensive line at the sec last year behind alabama that offensive line has graduated they got three or four new bodies on that offensive line this upcoming year but the returner that they have at left tackle is special 
I think when you're talking about Kenyon Green over at left tackle, a sophomore, he was great last year. He should be even better this year with his second full year of playing for AM. I think the offensive line is going to struggle at times. I think it's also going to have its bright spots. It's going to be, you know, a, a younger offensive line that's tried to establish consistency. But for Haynes King, it's not as much about does he just destroy Kent State? Does he throw for 250 yards, 300 yards? It's how does he look doing it? What are his mechanics like? How does he react in those few plays that Kent State challenges him? I was talking about this about Bo Nix in our previous segment. What does Bo Nix look like on the three or four times that Akron maybe beats his offensive line or has his receivers covered up? That You're not going to have 100% positive plays against any team you play in college football. So when a negative play occurs and stuff breaks down around you because of your teammates, how does Haynes King react to that and what does he add to the football team in addition to uh to what is given to him from his teammates how does he elevate this Aggie team and we'll only get to see that on a handful of times but you're you're going to have to pay very close attention to that against Kent State because like I said only three or four times will you really get to see that in a ball game but what does he do in that and I think you can at least see a glimpse of it against Kent State after that though I mean Texas A&M should absolutely run over Kent State in every aspect of this ball game and it shouldn't be close in our next segment, we'll talk about Florida, Georgia, LSU, and Ole Miss's openers. The good games come up in our next segment as we wrap up the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Wrapping up the Tuesday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. All on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's FoxSports983.com. Continuing our previous segment, what can we learn from some of these Week 1 SEC matchups? One thing that we can learn from each of these now we're getting into some better games here but we'll start with one more dud florida atlantic at number 13 florida 6 30 p.m scc network yeah it's figuring out how much more balanced this new florida offense with emory jones is going to be obviously the dual threat aspect with emory jones question being are they going to run the ball more are they going to be a little bit more balanced what does this new offense look like for florida is my is the thing that i'm going to be looking at ditto what does the scheme shift look like how much does it change or is emory jones just the next kyle trask and is going to folks with his arm and his legs you know how good is this quarterback actually going to be you can't take a whole bunch of that from playing florida atlantic but you can at least see what the scheme's going to look like from a play calling perspective it'll be watered down but you'll find out in a couple weeks when they play alabama and and honestly it'll be a little bit more of a progression next week when they play usf 6 30 p.m abc number five georgia versus number three clemson i think there are a lot of things that you could look at in this game but the thing that i'm going to be looking at is Is JT Daniels the real deal? Because during the four games, obviously, we've talked about it. The four games that he played last season, he played against some really bad pass defenses, and he was able to go out there and exploit those pass defenses. Is he going to be able to do the same thing with injuries to some of his receivers and against this really good Clemson defense? Is he legit? Defense versus defense, edge Clemson. Offenses versus each other, I would give edge Georgia at this point going into this ballgame. Yeah, I'm with you. The way that I look at this, though, I'm, I'm taking this from a different perspective. I'm looking at all of college football in this game. Can Georgia handle Alabama? Now, will they get better? Yes. I think Georgia, game one versus game 13, when I think they'll be playing Alabama, like they're going to be a vastly different football team by that point. But in week one, where are they in respect to being able to handle Alabama at the end of the season if they do inevitably run into each other because if georgia is struggling to score on clemson if georgia can't hit that 30 point mark 
Alabama, I still think Alabama is clearly in front of Georgia at this spot. Like, how does this Georgia offense look against Clemson? Because Clemson has one of the best defenses in college football coming back. A lot of experience there on that side of the ball. They're going to challenge Georgia to the breaking point in this ball game. It's going to be the best ball game of the weekend. Number 16 LSU at UCLA, 7.30 p.m. on Fox. What can we learn from this SEC Pac-12 matchup? I think you can kind of get a gauge for whether or not Durante Jones long-term is going to be able to fix this defense. I mean, UCLA's offense is no joke, and they're going to be able to do a lot of different things against LSU. I think they're going to be able to run the ball. Obviously, we saw that against Hawaii. I think DTR, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, does have the ability to air it out. I think he's going to be able to do that as well. But can LSU get enough stops to to kind of kind of prove to people that they have made progression on that side of the ball I think points are going to be scored in this game but I would like to see some progression from that secondary I'll add to this yards per carry allowed last year for LSU by the front seven 4.9 like how has this like has this defense progressed going into 2021 you're gonna find out right away that UCLA rushing attack it's the real deal and if they're averaging five yards per carry against LSU, if they're still hitting that mark, UCLA is going to score at will. They're going to be able to do what they want. Now, LSU, I think, is going to be able to score pretty easily against UCLA as well. But at the end, man, at the end of the day, even if LSU wins this ball game, I want to know, has this defense improved? Because if UCLA can score 35 to 40 points in this ball game, Ole Miss is going to score on them. Alabama's going to score on them. Florida's going to score on them. Auburn should be able to score. All of those teams can run the football well, right? How does LSU stop the one running this game against UCLA? You have about 15 seconds here, Lance. What are you looking at? Louisville, Ole Miss, what can you learn? I'm just looking to see if Ole Miss can go out there and make a statement and prove to, to the doubters out there that they can actually contend in the SEC West. I don't think they can. A lot of people really high on them in the offseason. Can they go out there and make a statement against a pretty decent Louisville squad? What's that defense look like, too? Talking about teams getting challenged. Malik Cunningham, he's a good quarterback. Didn't have a whole lot of help last year, but he's a good quarterback in Louisville. That's it for the Tuesday edition of On the Line, the drive with Bill Cameron and following us here on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll be back tomorrow with you guys. Same time, same place. You know where to find us.